At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we began a new sermon series called The New Normal. And this new series is anchored in Galatians chapters 1 and 2. And it really is a series that helps us understand the new that Jesus normalized. In other words, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God was ushering into the world a new covenant, a new way for you and I to relate to Him. It's a new covenant that was inaugurated some 2,000 years ago, and if we are to connect with God today, we will connect to God on the basis of the new that Jesus normalized. And throughout our New Testament, we see this new described and talked about. But there's a particular letter that Paul wrote to a group of churches in the region of Galatia where he talks about this new normal and specifically talks about how easy it is for those of us living in this current day to drift back towards the old of religion and not the new that Jesus came to establish. And in this seven-week series, we're unpacking that new by looking at Galatians chapters 1 and 2. And so we're going to continue that series today by looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Before we look at those verses, though, I want to just acknowledge that in those verses, we see the Apostle Paul kind of lose it. He's outraged in these verses. I mean, he is really upset. And I think when we can see the emotion that he has here, you and I probably can connect with it at one level or another. Because my guess is, at some point during the last 12 months, you've lost it, right? Something has happened that has bugged you. Something has happened that has made your blood boil. Something has happened that has activated you to the point that you stepped up to the podium of your social media platforms and you wanted to announce your position on whatever it was that has outraged you. But here's the challenge that you and I face. How do we know if we're outraged about the right things? Right? I mean, we live in a world today that has lots of microphones, but very few editors. We're able to step up and say whatever we want to say without anybody else having to sign off on it through social media. Now, some of you may argue that that's not the case, but for the most part, That's true. So how do we know that the things that are outraging us are the right things? Well, when we look at Galatians chapter 1, we might ask the question, how do we know that what outraged the Apostle Paul was something worth getting outraged over? I mean, did the Apostle Paul have an editor when he made this comment? The answer to that, friends, is an emphatic yes. Paul had an editor when he made his comments when he declared what he was so outraged by. And that editor was not just somebody pushing paper. And it wasn't just somebody in the Gaylord School of Mass Communications, as wonderful as my alma mater is. But the editor that oversaw this comment was none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And so what Paul talks about being outraged by, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, we have with confidence, it's the right kind of thing to be outraged by. And even as followers of Jesus today, you and I might be activated 
as we see these words expressed in the strength of his emotion shared in these five verses today. Because in these five verses, Paul describes what it is that bothered him. You know what it was? The distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the gospel is distorted, when the message that Paul proclaimed was twisted, Paul lost it with a godly outrage. This morning, we're going to see why that was and how you and I can respond as we look at these verses together. But before we we get there, we need to remember what we saw last week. And what we saw last week was an articulation of the true gospel, the message that Paul preached. In other words, Paul was upset with the distortion of a particular message. What was that message that was getting distorted? Well, he reminded us of it in verses 3 and 4 when he said that the true gospel is about Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. He offered his life as a sacrifice on the cross so that my sins and your sins might be forgiven. But he also came to deliver us from this present evil age. In other words, not just to secure an eternity for us, with him in heaven, but also to change the way in which we live our lives here and now. This is the gospel that Jesus made possible. It's the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. It's the gospel that Paul, as an apostle of Christ, was proclaiming. But apparently there were some in the first century who were distorting it. And even there are some today who want to distort it as well. So this morning, I want us to look at Galatians 1, 6 to 10, as we see three things today from these verses. I want to read them for us, and then we'll back up and make some observations. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says this. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there are another another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, friends, in these five verses, we're going to see three things today that will help us understand what Paul was so outraged about and why and how it connects for you and for me. Well, the first thing I want us to see is this. Jesus is not a way. He's the way. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. Now, we see that unfold as these verses begin in verse 6. Paul writes to his friends in Galatia. Remember, he had traveled through this region. He had planted these churches. He had preached the gospel. People had responded. He had set up elders in those churches. And then Paul had gone back to the city of Antioch, which was his base town. And after he gets back there, he begins to hear that the Galatian churches that he had founded are drifting away from the truth. As a matter of fact, he says that they are quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. They're quickly deserting the message that Paul had proclaimed. Well, in what way were they deserting it? Paul was surprised. He was outraged that they were deserting this message so quickly. Well, who was leading that charge? And what were they trying to convince the people to do? 
Well, in order to answer that question, we need to remember some of what we saw last week in terms of the opposition that Paul faced in the Galatian region from unbelieving Jews. We see in Acts chapter 14 too, as Paul went to one of the cities in that region, it says the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. In other words, there were unbelieving Jews who were stepping into the newly found Jesus-following communities and were poisoning their minds. We're telling them, it's not the way that Paul said. There's more to this story that you need to know. There are different ways that you need to be responding. Well, what was the more? What was the difference? Well, we see that in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, when their message is summarized. It says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, the unbelieving Jews were coming into these newly established Christian communities, many of which were full of Gentile converts, and they were saying to them, hey, it's fine that you want to believe in Jesus, but you need to believe in Jesus plus Judaism. It's okay for you to have Jesus. That's great that you had that message and your heart got all fired up about Jesus, but guess what? It's not just about Jesus. It's about Jesus plus being a good Jew. And specifically, what they were encouraging them to do was to practice their religion the way that a Jew practiced their religion. This included circumcision for the men. Now, keep in mind, there were grown men, Gentile converts to Jesus, who were waiting on pins and needles to find out the answer to the question, do I need to be circumcised to continue in my newfound faith? There were people who were wondering, can we have a meal and have whatever we want to eat, or do we need to exclude the bacon? This was a question that they had. Are we able to continue to worship in our own region of Galatia, or do we need to make a pilgrimage several times a year to offer a sacrifice in the temple or to celebrate Jewish festivals? See, the people that were unbelieving Jews were coming into the region of Galatia, and they were saying to these new Jesus followers, it's not enough for you to believe in Jesus, but you need to become a Jew as well. It was a Jesus plus model that they were selling. And Paul is astonished that they are so quickly abandoning the gospel that Paul preached, that it's about Jesus and Jesus only, and they're floating into this old way of religion, and the temptation to step into the full practice of Judaism. Paul writes and says, don't do that. Now, there's some objections that we might have. There were some objections that they might have. There's a reason why the arguments that they were being made were able to take root in the hearts and the souls of these new Galatian converts. Well, what are some of those arguments? Well, one of those arguments is, isn't it biblical, right? I mean, where did the Judaizers, where did the unbelieving Jews get their idea that men needed to be circumcised? Where did they get their idea that we were not to eat certain foods? Where did they get their idea that a trip needed to be mated? mated? What, What is that? What language am I speaking? That a trip needed to be made to Jerusalem in order to experience genuine worship. Where did they get those ideas? Well, you know where they got them, right? They got them from the Old Testament. These were parts of God's Old 
covenant. The covenant that he had established with the nation of Israel. But friends, in this series, and we talked about this at the outset of our message, Jesus came not to be Jesus plus the old. Jesus came to replace the old covenant that was established. Jesus was to make a new way for you and I to connect to God forever. And that way would not be through the practice of Judaism plus Jesus. That way would be through Jesus himself, making it possible for non-Jews to have access to God. This idea is talked about clearly in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 6, where it says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Friends, if you've ever been confused about why we don't apply everything we see in the Old Testament, there's your answer. Because Jesus came to usher in a new way, to make a new normal. Paul was clarifying that for the Galatian church, and it's written down so that you and I might have it clarified as well. It's not Jesus plus Judaism, it's Jesus alone. One of the objections is, isn't it biblical? But a second objection that we might think is, isn't it just theoretical? I mean, isn't it just theological? Why would Paul get so worked up over ideas, right? I mean, doesn't that seem a little harsh? I mean, especially in light of what we're getting ready to see that he says. I mean, why does he lose it over a belief? Well, the reason why he's outraged over the change of a belief is that our beliefs ultimately lead to actions. It ultimately shapes the way that we live. Dallas Seminary professor Tom Constable makes this comment. It's kind of long, but it's worth us looking at in its entirety. He says, The Galatians upset Paul exceedingly because whenever we add anything to faith for salvation, inevitably we neglect faith. If we make something besides faith supreme, we establish a right, for instance, baptism. When we establish a right, practice of the right becomes the message of the religion, and we divorce morality from religion. There is no motivation for righteous living. This is one difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions have rites, ceremonies, and creeds, but no supernatural life. Consequently, there is no vital connection in these religions between belief and morality. All kinds of sin result from the tragedy of adding something to the one responsibility of faith. We might think of summarizing that long statement this way. If we are to say Jesus plus something else, inevitably whatever we have added to Jesus becomes the dominating practice of our religion. If it's Jesus plus communion, then communion becomes parallel with the death of Christ itself. If it's Jesus plus baptism, baptism takes the place of Jesus. It becomes about the rite, the practice, the creed, the religion. But Jesus didn't set up a system that would operate independent of himself. Jesus said, The way to God is not through the practice of a religion. The way to God is through Him and what He has done and believing and embracing in Him. Paul knew that if they were to wander into a perspective of Jesus plus, that it would have dire consequences for their faith. Isn't it biblical? Isn't it theoretical? The last one, maybe, we would say, isn't it just personal? In other words, 
It's fine for those Jewish people to believe one way and Gentiles to believe another. I mean, just let them do whatever they want to do, Paul. Why are you making such a big case about this? Well, the ultimate answer to that, Paul gives to us right there in verse 6. He says, it is personal, but it's not personal in terms of your decision. It's personal in terms of who is ultimately your Lord and Savior. Notice what he says there. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him. In other words, if we wander away from faith in Jesus alone to Jesus plus, we have not just left the grace of God behind, but we have left the God of grace. It is critical. It's important for us to remember and to know that our salvation and furthermore, our sanctification, our growth in our Christian life is found in Jesus alone, not Jesus plus. Now, here's the thing. I'm guessing that for most of us in this room, Jesus plus Judaism is not our issue. That's not our temptation. And I would say that because I, I, got, I got to talk to one young man this morning, seven-year-old, who says, I want to be baptized, Pastor. Well, that was a great way to start my day, right? But I've, I've not had a situation where a 37-year-old has come up to me and said, Mark, I need to be circumcised. That, that has not happened yet, <laughs> right? So, so I'm guessing that Jesus plus Judaism is not your issue, or that would have happened at least once in 20 years, Right? But there are lots of other Jesus pluses out there, aren't there? Jesus plus baptism. In other words, it's not enough to believe in Jesus, but you must get in the water too. That's how you're saved, Jesus plus. Jesus plus communion. It's not enough just to, to believe in Jesus, but you need to regularly eat and drink from the cup and from the bread. Jesus plus education. It's, it's not enough just to know about Jesus, but you need to know everything about him. You need to have a robust education, whether that's seminary or Sunday school or Bible study. You need to get it all down. You need to know it all. And if you know everything plus Jesus, that's enough for our salvation. Jesus plus morality. It's Jesus, sure, on the side, but ultimately it's our ability to perform, to do the right things, to care for others, to not do the list of naughty no-nos, whatever that is. It's Jesus plus politics. You've got to have the right perspective on world events and about the governance of a society. It's Jesus plus church attendance. It's Jesus plus blank. This is, this is the things that we struggle with, right? These are the things that bother us. But, but one of the things that we need to make really clear is that our hope is not in Jesus plus, but it's in Jesus alone. Paul says in Galatians 1.7, there is no other way. He said, you may, we may call it a gospel, but it's not good news at all because it's not effective. It is Jesus alone that leads to our salvation. It reminds us of what Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, but the way. Now, here's the thing. This is a good list, right? These are some good things. Baptism is not a bad thing. Baptism is a wonderful thing. It's a gift that the Lord has given to us. But we're not baptized in order to be saved. We're baptized to celebrate the salvation that God has given us in Christ. Communion is a beautiful thing. But we don't take communion so that we are sanctified. We don't take communion so that we have the next week's dose of salvation. 
We take communion to remember the salvation that is found in Christ alone. Why do we go to Bible study? Not so that we might be saved because we got smart enough, but so that we remember the salvation and understand it more deeply that we might be inflamed to faith and to worship even more. Not to make ourselves acceptable to God, but to understand just how much He has done for us. Morality is a wonderful thing. We demonstrate our love for Christ in the way that we relate to and love one another. There are things that are bad for us that we should refrain from. But we don't not do certain things or do certain things in order to make ourselves more attractive to God. Jesus has taken care of that himself. The same thing is true with everything else that we might add to that list. Friends, Jesus is not a way. It's not you can go the Jesus way or you can go the Jesus plus morality way. You can go the Jesus way or you can go the Jesus plus communion way. You can go the Jesus way or you can go the Jesus plus baptism. You can go the Jesus way or you can go the Islam way. No, no, that's not the way that it is. There's one way. Jesus is the way. And the question I really want to ask all of us to answer honestly is this. If Jesus is the way, then friends, is Jesus your way? Is He the one that you are trusting in? His death on the cross, He gave His life for you. Are you embracing that by faith? And understanding that it's only through Him that you have an eternity in front of you. He's the way. Is your way. First thing that we see inside these verses. There's a second thing that we need to see in these verses. And that thing we need to see is this. Changing the gospel is a big deal. Changing the gospel is a big deal. Now, we, we see that in what follows in verses 7, 8, and 9. In those verses, Paul will express the, really the, the, the depth of his ire, the depth of his outrage regarding the, the changing of the gospel. Uh, we see it begin there in verse 7. It really bothers Paul that the gospel has been distorted because it was troubling the church. There were real-world consequences because of the twisting and the distorting and the changing of the gospel. The Jesus plus system was hurting people that Paul loved and who Jesus died for. And so Paul speaks up. John Stott helps us understand a little bit of this. Again, it's a long quote, but it's helpful for us to see. When he says this, he says, The two chief characteristics of the false teachers are that they were troubling the church and changing the gospel. These two go together. To tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers, now as then, are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. It is they who trouble the church. Conversely, the only way to be a good churchman is to be a good gospelman. The best way to serve the church is to believe and to preach the gospel. Friends, this message that Paul proclaimed, that we are proclaiming now, is not to be distorted or changed because when it is, it troubles the church. It creates problems for you and for me. Because of that, 
Paul makes this dramatic statement about it in verses 8 and 9. He says, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, what does that phrase, let him be accursed, mean? What's the idea behind it? Well, the idea of something being accursed means that it was set aside for judgment. It was put under a ban. It was canceled, so to speak. In other words, Paul says, if any message comes up that distorts or twists the gospel, it should be set aside, canceled, and banned inside the church because it causes real problems. We should deal with this swiftly. We should not allow it to propagate or to permeate, but we need to cut it off at its head because it will lead to real-world consequences inside the church. Now, some might want to argue that Paul was merely having a personal vendetta against these unbelieving Jewish teachers. In other words, it was Paul who preached this message among the Galatians. Some might say, well, Paul just doesn't like it when somebody comes in and corrects him. But Paul actually makes this statement at the beginning of verse 8. He says, listen, even if I change this message... I want a ban to be placed on that. Even if an angel, he's speaking here in a hyperbole, even if an angel were to preach a different message, let it be banned or canceled. Don't let it have an audience inside the church because it has real problems. Unless we think that Paul just popped off in this environment and said this and then afterwards was like, I can't believe I said that. He doubles down and he says it a second time. I say it again. Let it be banned. Let it be canceled. Let it be set aside to be deleted from the corpus of what we teach and what we believe because it had real problems for real people. Well, what are some of the problems that happen if this false teaching or distortion of the gospel is allowed to continue? Well, it would have an impact on non-Christians. There were those in side of the world, inside of the Galatian region, inside of our world today, that might hear the wrong message if we allow a Jesus plus or a Jesus minus gospel to be communicated. Don Campbell, former president of Dallas Seminary, says this. He says, when the gospel message is corrupted, the way of salvation is confused and people are in danger of being eternally lost. Now, friends, I believe in the sovereignty of God, as does Dr. Campbell. But what Dr. Campbell is saying is the same intensity of emotion that Paul has. There is real consequences to disturbing this message. To preach another gospel is to preach a message that is not powerful enough to save. It's to point people down a path that leads to destruction and not to life. So it matters that we proclaim the right message. If we teach a Jesus plus gospel message, it's possible that someone might hear that and reject Jesus because of whatever the plus is that we've added to it. We need to keep the message pure, keep the message clean, and proclaim Christ as the only way for each of us. But not only would it have an impact among non-Christians, but also it would have an impact among Christians. Teaching the wrong thing, adding to the gospel, making it about our works and not His work, would potentially lead to problems for Christians. 
And that is something that even Jesus himself talked adamantly about not happening. Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. In other words, don't teach people the wrong gospel. Even believers, don't teach them the wrong message. Don't allow it to permeate because it could guide people down the wrong paths. Friends, changing the gospel is a big deal. Now, when I go through this, and this is now the second time I've preached this message, I can see something happening in your eyes and in your hearts and in your brains. And this is what's happening. Yikes, right? Yikes. In other words, I don't even want to say anything. I don't want to share my faith because I might get it wrong. I don't want to have a millstone put around my neck because I didn't articulate the message accurately or or whatever it might be. Friends, it's not that complicated. But it is important that we remember the basic truths of the gospel. As a church, we understand that the truth of the gospel is articulated for us in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures instruct our doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement instructs what we teach from the pulpit. It instructs what curriculum we pick for our children's classes. It instructs what happens inside of our adult classrooms because it's important. It's significant. It's important what we believe. But for all of us, also, we need to constantly be reminded of the truth. That's part of the reason why we gather and part of the reason why we talk about the gospel so frequently inside of our services. It's that we might continue to remember and believe that message. You know, if you would like to go deeper on this and understand more about this message and how we might effectively communicate it with others, come and be a part of a class that Pastor Brian Hayes is going to be teaching on Wednesday nights beginning in a couple of weeks called God Conversations. The class that helps us understand the gospel message and how we might share it with others so that we can know the message that we proclaim. But also it could be just as simple as taking a verse like Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and writing it out, the gospel message that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age and put it on a card on your mirror so that you see it on a regular basis, so that you regularly remind yourself of the gospel that we might proclaim the true gospel of Jesus and not Jesus plus. Friends, the first thing that we have seen is that Jesus is not a way, but he is the way. And the second thing we have seen is that changing the gospel message is a big deal. But the third thing I want us to see quickly today is this. It's merely a, a question. Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to please? Now, we see this idea come out for us in verse 10, where Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul wants them to know, and he reminds them of this, that he is not in this just to build a big personal following. He is in this to point people to Jesus that they might follow him. Paul doesn't want them to mistake the vehemence of his message with merely some kind of self-preservation. But he wants them to know that it is about Christ and Christ alone. This was Paul's heart, but it also was the heart of the early church that was following Christ. You know, as Gentiles were coming to faith all over the region, this question of should we make them become 
followers of us in Judaism, or should we allow them to follow Jesus alone through just a Jesus-only system? James, Jesus' brother, who was leading the church in Jerusalem at the time, made this statement. He says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What James was saying was, we're not here to make more people like me. We're not here to have people worship the way that I like to worship. We're here to help people follow Jesus, not Jesus plus. In a defining moment of the church, the trajectory was laid out to go out and share a Jesus-only gospel with the Gentile world. And that's the message that we received, and that's the message that we are charged with keeping. Friends, when we think about heading into this new year, who ultimately are we trying to please? We're not trying to gain a group of followers that all think exactly like we do on every secondary issue. We gather as a church family and we invite others to come along with us and follow Jesus himself. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to gather and to worship today. We thank you for the truth of the gospel and how it is changing our lives even today as we remember it. Father, that we would be a people who would cling to Jesus alone and not Jesus plus us. We thank you so much for just the opportunity to look at these verses today and be encouraged by them. And I pray that every heart in this room and everyone hearing these words would respond by faith in Jesus alone. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.